Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey. You ever listen to stock radio? Ever listen to stock radio on Weeb? Don't know if you're hearing the intro music there that we're not hearing, but welcome to this week's episode of Potstock Radio. Not really sure if you heard the Rise intro song. I think you heard at least the, uh, you're listening to Stock Radio on Weed, but uh, don't know what else you heard after that. But we've got an action-packed show tonight. I am Eric Butts, and welcoming my guest host, Stace. Hey, everyone. Great to be here. Great to be a Philadelphian today. <sighs> today was a good day to wake up and be in Philadelphia, huh? Sure was. I, I don't know a better day in uh, our history, I'd say. <laughs> well, it was really good until then I Googled what we did to the city as yeah. fans, and I was a little bummed that we were who they thought we were. <laughs> I don't know that we were. I mean, I've seen a lot worse than that. Well, well, I mean, a couple couches right. on fire and stuff. Couches on fire. The <laughs> they flipped some vehicles. It I was happens. expecting way worse than that. I do hear you. It happens in a lot of <laughs> cities. The one that they showed all over the place, which was the people sitting on the canopy of the hotel. That, what hotel? I want to say it was like the Ritz-Carlton, of course. I think it was. We're not going to sit on some Best Westerns canopy. <laughs> oh, right. No. We're going to find the Of Ritz. the Ritz. And, and a canopy of all that. Like, yeah. that's how smart we are. Right. That's not going to It's cost. fabric. Now we're yeah. good. Let's all pile on it. Right. <laughs> All right, well, we got an action-packed show tonight, and we've got starting off our show in a couple of minutes is Clint Sharples, who we're really looking forward to talk to. Had him booked one time we had to cancel on our end, and then one time he had to postpone, so looking forward to having on the director and chairman of Heritage Cannabis, formerly known as Umbral, as you investors might know him as. So we're starting the show with him, then following up with Craig Frank, CEO of Kaya Holdings. Symbol K-A-Y-S, and we're going to talk to him about the company's plans. They're blowing up a little bit, it seems like, in Oregon, and then seeing what their plans are elsewhere and throughout the state, and then finishing up with some fun. Looking forward to talking to a guy named Chris Goodwin. If you don't know who he is, check him out on Twitter or just Google search 420 for uh, Toronto Festival. And he is the director and I believe the founder of the event and it is ridiculous on I, april 20th i'll tell you what i just from googling it i'm ready to book a trip and go you want to like take fun. our anniversary trip to go to canada all of a sudden <laughs> i can't wait to hear about it i'm excited so looking forward to finishing off with chris goodwin and having some fun to end the show but before we do that, let's get to some business and remind everyone who's listening to us to follow us on Twitter. We're at Potstock Radio on Twitter, 
And then on Facebook, we're facebook.com forward slash NJ. And then email me any questions you have, any future guests you'd like me to interview. Shoot an email to eric at potstockradio.com. That email's always been available to listeners to give your opinion about the show, what we could do, how we could make it better, just who you want to hear from. And remind uh, about our sponsor, so Magical Butter. If you've never used Magical Butter 2.0 to make your uh, butter, your oils, your tincture, you're missing out because it's so much better to use a machine that does all the work for you without you having to do anything but put all the ingredients in, decide what you want to make between oil, tincture, and butter, and then let it go. It'll just do its thing. Every once in a while, it'll turn on and stir for a couple of hours. Go ahead, Steve. If I might have the opportunity here, I'm the one who does the cooking <laughs> at our house. <laughs> and I, I taught say, you, but then you've taken it to the next level. Correct. And it has made my life a lot easier. I'm an advocate. <laughs> I'm telling everyone I know about it. Uh, it's just uh, a way easier cleanup. Uh, it's just a nice, smooth process. You don't really have to worry about anything it contains the smell so, so i just... feel like it should be like that should be their slogan like worry free butter oil and it really <laughs> people think it up. when i tell them how much it costs like it's 160 bucks i think and then if you use the promo code potstock one word p-o-t-s-t-o-c-k you'll get 30 bucks off your order so when you realize how economical it is to just make your life that much easier, it's silly not to buy it. But make sure you buy it through their website. Not only use our promo code, but if you do it on eBay or Amazon, just know that your warranty is void. So you want to have a machine that's covered. And with our promo code, you end up getting it for the same price anyway. It's worth every penny. Every penny twice. So check them out at MagicalButter.com. And before we get to our first guest, just want to remind our listeners that Potstock Radio is for informational and educational purposes only. We never try to get you to buy or sell any individual security, and we're also not trying to get you to do any drug or use any substance that's illegal in your state. We're really just here to provide current and future investors with some additional insight that might help you with your due diligence to make smarter choices. So you hit buy and sell. You make your own decisions. You're just using us to try and help a little bit. All right, so now on to our first guest. We've got starting the show off, like we said, with Clint Sharples, who is the director and chairman of Heritage Cannabis Holdings. How are you tonight, Clint? I'm doing well, Eric. How are you doing? Very good, man. Glad to finally have you on. I know, like I said, we had to do some rescheduling once on my end, once on your end. So glad to finally have you back on Potstock Radio. Well, it's fantastic. I bypassed going to a Toronto Maple Leafs game here tonight for you guys. So this is great. Hi, Stacey. Wow. I'm not sure if I'm with you before. Dude, we are honored. I Really, listen, Stace, you don't know, as a Canadian, giving up a hockey game would be like me giving up watching the Eagles last night, for instance. Not quite. He didn't give up the Stanley Cup. But, dude, <laughs> Clint, you missing hockey for me. I, I kind of teared up a little bit, so that's big. Appreciate you sh- it. You should be honored. Absolutely. I am. <laughs> so, remind everyone who's listening, we're talking to Clint Sharples, who's director and chairman of Heritage Cannabis. And you can find him on the CSE at C-A-N-N dot C. 
and on the OTC trading in the gray market at UMBBF. So, and, and website, by the way, is now Heritage Can, C A N N, all one word.com. So let, let's start talking about that, Clint. Is you guys changing from Umbral to now becoming a, a new company with at least on the Canadian side, uh, you know, all, all new? You're still UMBBF on the OTC, but tell us a little bit about that change and why that was important to the company. Well, yeah, we've uh, we've had a very busy three months. Uh, we're working on that U.S. ticker symbol there too. We expect to have that changed here within the next couple of weeks, so they could uh, at least reflect what we're doing here in Canada. Um, but yeah, we've uh, as as many companies that uh, have uh, recently entered the cannabis industry here in Canada, public companies. Uh, we were a resource company prior to that. Uh, decided to abandon our resource uh, deals and and move into uh, cannabis instead. And uh, uh, as with any company, if you're going to do a change of business, the stock uh, exchange uh, expects you to file uh, a whole new complete set of documents and uh, obtain shareholder approval in order to do that. So uh, the, the we were prepared for it on November the 1st. We halted our stock and uh, we're expecting a three to four week uh, halt. Uh, the unfortunate uh, part for us was the massive amount of uh, uh, companies that the exchange was dealing with uh, had their reaction time was a lot slower than normal. So it ended up taking closer to 10 weeks while we remain halted through Christmas and early into the new year. However, we came trading on January the 10th as a full-blown agricultural cannabis lister and uh, under a new name, uh, Heritage Cannabis Holdings. And uh, yeah, it's been a, a, a great run since uh, January the 10th. Uh, our stock uh, has uh, gone up quite a bit. It's been a tough couple of uh, days here recently, but that's only short-term fluctuations. It doesn't bother us a bit. And uh, yeah, we've been... Uh, I'm pretty blessed here over the last, uh, over the last uh, four or five weeks. So great shareholders, uh, great interest in our company, and because we've uh, had a backlog of things that we've been working on, we've been able to talk about all these new things that we've been doing too. So it's been good. So I guess next, next let's talk about FineMed, who you guys were acquired by, and they're a late-stage applicant. Talk to us about how late they are or how close I should say you believe they are uh, to actually being able to have grow licenses and then talk to us about how it benefited both sides. You know, for something to make sense, it's got to benefit both your company and fine med. So first talk about how you think it helped both sides of that transaction. Sure. Yeah. Uh, fine med is a subsidiary of heritage. Um, it's a, uh, it's, we have a 75% interest in uh, FineMed. The other 25% is uh, held by their uh, FineMed CEO, uh, Deborah Sanger. Uh, Deborah uh, and, uh, and I and uh, Jag Bell partnered up uh, to create uh, this, this public uh, company that is now a cannabis or an agricultural lister. And uh, Deborah had uh, identified a property in a place, a little town called Falkland, B.C., which is uh, in the Okanagan Valley, just north of Vernon, if anyone has any uh, uh, Canadian geographical knowledge. Uh, 
not the facility off. there. Yeah, no. Yeah, I understand <laughs> Americans got a hard time finding Canada on a map, let alone a small town in BC. <laughs> we won't we won't take it personally. So on this facility, we had, uh, or sorry, on the site, we had a facility already built. Uh, it used to be a hardwood flooring manufacturing company that was there. Uh, what we did was essentially gutted the building and uh, are uh, just about, and when I say just about, we are a week, week and a half away from completing our phase one of construction. That's uh, 15,500 square feet of uh, grow rooms plus um, the, the various uh, drying rooms and vault area and everything that goes along with uh, the, the production of cannabis. So once, uh, once we're completed this build, uh, you have to submit uh, what's called an evidence package to Health Canada. Uh, the evidence package essentially allows you to uh, officially apply for your production license. And uh, the expectation is um, uh, when Health Canada reviews the, uh, the videos, the pictures, and the attestations that come with it from the professionals who helped us design it, uh, we believe uh, we believe we're in line to receive uh, our initial production license, which will allow us to uh, grow cannabis. Uh, we expect to receive that in uh, late February or early March. And Clint, you're a week to a week and a half away. What's still left to do when you're that close? Oh, uh, they're uh, they're scrambling to uh, to finish uh, the last little bits of the inside. But right now, it's uh, mostly just uh, uh, small details. Um, uh, you know, completing the uh, you talked about the lights. Uh, the lights are being hung. Everything's being designed. Everything's uh, ready to essentially ready to go. Uh, they, they, when you're looking at a week, a week and a half away, it's no different from your house. Trim still needs to happen. You got to get some paint up on walls, stuff like that. It's, uh, it's all the minor details. Understood. And it sounds like pretty close to on time for the timeline you expected. How about budget? Were you guys able to stay on budget and getting this completed? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Everything's on time. It's on budget. In fact, I think we're a touch below budget, uh, some, uh, some fortunate changes for us from the uh, the Health Canada standpoint of what they require for a vault uh, allowed us to uh, to do the new design vault and put it in for uh, for our purposes. They also had some changes to their security requirements, uh, which uh, helped a little bit for us. We we could have spent even less on security, but it didn't really work for us as a company. Uh, I can understand a Health Canada requirement for security. We also have our own requirement, so sure, you know, we're not gonna, we're not going to go easy on security. Makes sense. That's where you want to spend. That's not where you want to skimp. So that makes sense. You got it. Anywhere that there's pictures or videos up, so people who are current or future investors can kind of check out and get a inside look at what's going on. Uh, we we posted a couple of pictures up. Uh, I tweeted out some stuff. This was a, a few weeks ago. Um, I believe they're taking pictures at the end of this week, uh, and uh, when those are done, we'll uh, uh, we'll get them up on our site and uh, we'll be tweeting them out so people can see them. I think they're just waiting for some final touches. Right now, they're still uh, 
there's still ladders and all sorts of stuff in there from our uh, our contractors. So we'd like to get that out of there and have a finished view of it. All right, so listeners, if you're not already following him, he's at Clint Sharples. His full name, C-L-I-N-T-S-H-A-R-P-L-E-S on Twitter. So if you want updates, do it there. All right, Stacey, you had a question. Yeah, Clint, if as expected your license is approved in a couple of weeks, how long will it take for the growing to begin? Well, uh, well, we're prepared to get going in a very short period of uh, time after that. Uh, We've... um, uh, we've arranged our our initial uh, seeds and how they're coming in and and when the, uh, and the targeting the uh, little 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 moving target right now, but it's uh, it'll be within a couple of weeks after receiving that license. We'll uh, we'll be up and ready to go. Nice. We'll be growing. I had seen some impressive information about your senior horticultural advisors, Greg Saloom, if I'm saying that correctly. Can you fill everyone else in on why he is such an asset to your company? Uh, so uh, we have a fairly large uh, growing team. Um, uh, Greg that you've uh, uh, mentioned there was uh, an original member of our team. And uh, we have uh, since uh, expanded our team. We have another Greg on board who's going to be uh, uh, looking after all the day-to-day growing, we'll be bringing on uh, a secondary grower um, on a full-time basis. He's there right now on a part-time basis. Uh, he'll be joining us uh, by mid-March. And uh, also on our team, uh, we have uh, three other guys that I just want to give a shout-out to, Phil, Gary, and Fraser, along with Greg. They've been fantastic for us for this growth, uh, for the building, and uh, getting us ready to essentially tackle what's going to be the very first grow, which is obviously the most important one. Uh, you need to prove a lot of things with your first grow. And uh, uh, and I have a, uh, a lot of confidence in our group uh, to be able to pull this off. Love it. And now you talked about phase one of that building and, and being only a couple of weeks away. I read that there's plans of phase two, a two-story addition that was supposed to start in like the end of January. Is that also one plan? Yeah, we, uh, in fact, we've, we've accelerated our time frame with phase two. Uh, okay. We had originally, in our, in our plan, we had originally uh, decided phase two would start uh, within a few weeks of the completion of phase one, uh, However, our contractor uh, working with, uh, with our team uh, essentially uh, let us know that the capability was there from their point of view to get started earlier. And uh, the design team that went to work on it uh, was ready to go. So we decided uh, two things. Number one, we were going to accelerate our time frame by about a month on phase two. Uh, and that's an important part that I'll talk about in a second. Uh, and number two was we were going to expand the footprint of, of phase two. It was originally supposed to be about 38,000 square feet. Now it's up uh, 41,400 square feet, uh, as we had a couple of things we would like to add. But the important part of the phase two, the construction for phase two is supposed to take about three months. And what would happen is we can complete our phase two construction at about the same time that we're completing our first grow period from phase one. So when we look to do a secondary grow, 
and and we we're making an assumption that uh, Health Canada uh, takes a look at our first grow, gives us the approval, and uh, allows us the uh, to get the license to sell at that point, uh, or shortly thereafter. It allows us to kick in not just the facility that did the original grow, but our second facility, and we can be almost at full production by our second grow, and then we'll be at full production, uh, which uh, we're estimating is over 4,000 kilograms a year. Uh, at least we'll be there by our third grow, our third uh, term. So 4,000 kilograms a year, how many square feet of your facility will be growing and how many grows per year is that estimated to be? So with the two facilities together, we'll be ballpark 40,000 square feet of grow rooms, uh, with the remainder being, remainder being a vault, a nursery, and various other things that you require. Okay. That's a huge amount of square footage that's growing. It is. Are you just going to be uh, selling a, flour, or are you planning on making edibles, infused products as well? Or? Yeah, so you're getting into a more of a long-term plan here. Um, so a lot of us, a lot of our uh, decisions and a lot of um, companies who are in the same boat that we're in, uh, we have the decisions on the oils and the edibles are all wholly dependent on when the government decides that it's going to allow us to do this. Uh, yeah. Currently today, the government, is, yeah. So the government's allowing us to grow flour. That's you know kind of a full stop. You can get into the oils and into the creams and stuff on the on the medical side, uh, but on the recreational side, when you get into the edibles and oils, there has been no uh, definitive date as to when the government will allow that to happen. But yes, we have full intention to be in that market, and we're going to be in that market very strong. But right now it's flour only, Stace, in Canada for those Canadians. It's funny to me. It like is. The oils, I, you know, so I have my medical license here for health issues medical that I card. have. Not or a license. Medical card, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you got I'm something, I don't myself know. Here. <laughs> the oil um, is what really helps me more than anything. So for people, you think they wouldn't hold people back from getting something like that, you know, yeah, well, that's why I said it's available on the medical side. It's well, just right, available right. on the recreational. But I don't understand on recreational, like, that would, what are they going to do different with flour? You know, if they're smoking flour oil, they would be rubbing on their body or something, but whatever. Yeah. It's more the edibles. <laughs> Everyone always worries about kids and being marketed to kids. Yeah. So I think it's more of just people being afraid of how much easier it could just slip into society where smoking, people have to know you're doing it. Where? Yeah. Candy, someone could eat yeah, the wrong Steve. stuff, but I do get it. Yeah. Stace, the person you got to talk to about that would be uh, Chris Goodwin at the end of your show here. He would, uh, he can enlighten you <laughs> a lot more on this than I can. I I'm, thought, ex- I'm excited about that. Yeah, we, we are excited <laughs> to talk to Chris, just because when you look him up on online, he's like, he's who I want to be, but I just don't have the balls to be, and I have too much at risk to <laughs> go just get arrested for what I believe in, but he's someone who just does it and and believes that it's the right thing to do so and i liked clint how it seems like you guys are kind of fans of each other a little bit you you said hey looking forward to chris goodwin coming on and he seems to be a follower of your company and thinks that you guys are one of the ones that are going to succeed which does tell me a lot from someone who knows a, a lot better than i do so 
thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, uh, both uh, both Chris and his wife uh, Aaron are uh, are very uh, well known in the cannabis world here, and having uh, having their support, and I do know that their shareholders uh, having their support of our company is uh, uh, is kind of a nice thing to be able to tell people, saying someone of that uh, um, you know that level of knowledge, which far superior to mine, uh, is supporting what we're doing. It's, uh, it's nice to have. Yeah, and if you if you do some research on him, he's not just a stoner who does it and just believes. Like he was an entrepreneur who came up with a candle company to mask the smell of cannabis as a 15 year old. So and has owned multiple companies and and locations. So he's no newbie to business or cannabis. So he's definitely someone to have no. good on your side. So. Yep, not at all. They're very, very active politically, very smart uh, in business. And uh, you know what? A lot of where we are today and the movement of uh, the cannabis industry is due to, uh, due to uh, those two uh, and, uh, and Mark and Jody Emery here. Yep. All right, got it. And now you had mentioned 40,000 square feet. And what kind of – and 4,000 kilograms. What kind of revenue – is attached to those kind of production numbers or estimates? Yeah, that's a good question too. Uh, you know what I've seen, uh, I don't know, maybe 50 financial projections and uh, uh, depending on the, uh, the level of dollars that, uh, uh, and the distribution uh, channels that you sell it through, uh, it, it, it's a massive variation. Uh, so with uh, you know 4,000 kilograms, that's that's four million grams, and uh, I've seen people using you know seven dollars a gram. I've seen people using three dollars and fifty cents a gram. It depends what the net back is to you. Uh, we haven't seen all the government's cost structures yet, uh, and uh, and all the distribution fees that are going to come through selling through the various uh, arms of government and their the channels that they're putting in place. So uh, currently today, uh, people who are buying their medical uh, marijuana via the mail, it's a lot easier to understand the, the, the revenue stream, but that revenue stream is so small in comparison to, a, to the rec market when it's on board, but the rec market has so much government regulations, we're not sure yet. Yeah, it's small. The medical side is small, but the find where... There's a lot of potential in the recreational market, but like you're saying, it's kind of unknown. Everything is kind of unknown still. So what, what have they been clear about since announcing that date in July of 2018 is the possible recreational date? Huh. Um, very little. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're very clear on the fact that we're going to have to wait until they figure things out. Uh, and, and give us a list of rules. Now, it's everyone's uh, understanding or expectation that the list of rules that we're going to have to play by on day one is going to change. Once the market's up and going, it's one of those, give it a try, see what happens. You know, yeah. maybe loosen this, maybe tighten that up. We're hoping there's going to be a lot of loosening, particularly of how the government wants to control the distribution um, uh, to the certain governments, certain, the provinces get to choose how it gets distributed. If you look at Alberta, one of the provinces out west, uh, they're going to allow for a lot of privatization, a lot of private shops to set up. 
if you look at Ontario, which will be the largest market in Canada for cannabis, there'll be none. There'll be no privatization at all. It's all through the government's uh, distribution arms. Like some places are in here for alcohol. Pennsylvania, for instance, it's all covered by covered through the government. And that's what's going to happen in some provinces in Canada, which is crazy. Yeah. And we have the exact same thing through alcohol. So we are used to it. Um, it it's, doesn't make it any less frustrating, but we are used to it. Uh, and part of that is we're expecting in the Ontario market when they do decide that they want to get going that um, you know, no different from the way that they market their wine here through their liquor control board, they'll put on the shelf things that sell. If it doesn't sell, people won't buy it. So we are targeting two things. Number one, high quality, high, high quality. We will not uh, we will not scrimp on quality. We'll make sure that anything we put out in our package is of uh, premium quality. And number two, it's got to be a lower cost. Uh, if this starts getting into a cost market and you're a high cost producer, you're going to lose. So we're focused on making sure quality is top notch and we have guys with the experience to make sure that that happens. And number two is ensuring that uh, we can get our products to market at the lowest cost possible. Uh, you'll see a recent announcement we just put out uh, last week. Uh, we acquired a property in, here in Ontario. Uh, it's a massive property. It's got 85 acres of growable, uh, of growable land uh, that we're putting uh, together a plan for both indoor and outdoor growing. You know, outdoor growing hasn't been approved yet, but we expect it will be here shortly, which will allow us to produce crops at the lowest potential cost. And that's when, Stacey, you're asking about getting into the edibles and the oils. We yeah. intend to provide a lot of the raw, raw material will come from that property. And it's a massive build. It's a big, big facility. Big facility equals lower costs. That's uh, look at your return on your investment and you need to pay for your fixed costs. That's, uh, that's what our intentions are. And, you know, growing is awesome, you know, in ways of more product and also just growth in general, but it always comes with debt. So talk a little bit about that. We talked about revenues. First, what debt does your new company take on from Umbral? And then also what debt came about with the building of phase one, phase two of your new location and how will that debt get paid back? Uh, so, well, we have no debt. Uh, we've done everything via equity. Uh, we, we came from uh, Umbral over to uh, Heritage uh, as a debt-free company. We own our property. We bought it outright. Uh, we intend to continue that in the future. Uh, we're not willing to take on um, any debt at this point in time until revenue start to be produced. And then we can see our way clear to how and when we'll be able to pay back that debt. Uh, so at this point in time, we have we have over three million dollars in the bank, uh, which is enough uh, to fund our next uh, uh, our next phase of uh, of build. It's enough to get us to uh, our first crop uh, grown and our second crop started, and uh, the potential to sell our first crop uh, should we get our license to sell at that time. And that's huge to have no debt. That's not something that we hear. No, we usually don't hear that there's no debt coming due in the next 12 to 24 months, rather. You're like, nope, we went into this debt-free, and we built 
got to this point debt free with money in the bank. So, so, so then the next question is, what about share structure? Uh, do you see that changing in the near future or no, you're saying you guys have money in the bank. You don't really need to issue more shares to raise more money at this point. Uh, so, yeah, the trade-off of debt is the fact that you need to issue more stock in order to raise your equity. Uh, we're currently sitting with, uh, you know, approximately 150 million shares outstanding. And when we look at our, our, uh, our current burn rate and, and what it will take to get us to revenue, uh, we're okay. We're sitting fine. When we want to tackle and get on to phase three and then potentially into the Ontario build, uh, yeah, that's going to take more, more money. And uh, we understand that. And uh, we, have, we are working with uh, uh, financial uh, advisors and uh, uh, brokerage houses. Uh, we have been offered financings here. We're not taking it yet because we don't need it. Uh, and um, uh, essentially, we're, we're looking, we'd like to get ourselves on the other side of our license, our, our initial production license, before we look to uh, raise any more money. Uh, we believe that our stock price will uh, will continue to climb. We have a few more things that we would like to accomplish as a business, and you know maybe maybe we can do this show again in a couple of months, and we can talk about uh, the things that we're working on right now uh, after they've come to fruition. But we believe once we're done and we've executed our plan and we're confident in our plan that uh, our share price. Uh, uh, will we'll reflect on um, the execution that we've done. And I also think it's smart. It sounds like you're waiting until there's revenue to make those moves. So people at that time will see where the money is coming from to be able to pay the debt back. That's not what scares people as much as debt that how is this going to get repaid and how doesn't this just turn into a toxic situation where you know dilution just gets ridiculous. So it sounds like you're planning these things and not just haphazardly doing it, which people like to say. So awesome. Yeah, I completely agree with that. As soon as the debt, uh, as soon as you have the debt and it's coming due and you have no way to pay it, then someone else is running your company for you. And that's not a, uh, that's not a good way to run any company. Exactly. You already talked a little bit about the burn rate. So you, you've talked a little bit about the price of the stock over the past few weeks. And I'm with you. It, it increased substantially and then took a dip. But just talk to investors about, you know, maybe why they shouldn't just look at the ins and outs of each day as, a, you know, an issue. And why you're not. Let's just say that. Forget about why you're not afraid of that. I, that'll drive me nuts if you're watching this every day. Um, you know, the last last couple of days have been last couple of trading days have been odd. Uh, and, and I'll say that I don't worry about it because I don't need to worry about it. The, the market will be what it is. Uh, there's, there's nothing that we can do as heritage about it uh, other than do what we say we're going to do uh, and do it within budget and, uh, and do it properly. Uh, you know, the short-term fluctuations of the market have no bearing on how we're going to move forward. We have enough cash to execute our business plan in this near term. So I'm not worrying about where that price is. We're not ignoring it. Don't get me wrong there. Uh, we are uh, working with uh, uh, investor relations groups to help get our story out there. 
if you look at where we are in the cycle and you put some of the comparables out there and what we have for opportunities in the future, um, we believe we're cheap. Uh, we're cheap when you compare us to some of the others out there that aren't as far along and don't have as much upside as we do. Uh, and as a market cap, they're higher or some, some cases significantly higher. Uh, the way we look at it, this cannabis market's going to be huge. And we intend to be a significant player in this huge market. So by just executing on your business plan to ensure that that statement is true, the stock price will reflect it. It will. Uh, the market has a way of evening everything out, and uh, that's essentially how we're looking at it, too. Love it. All right, so a little fun talk because I'm looking at your – got a couple of minutes left. By the way, before we get to just some questions I had for you in general, uh, anything else that you want to talk about, anything that we didn't cover that you think is important for current or future investors to hear? Uh, you know what? Uh, a couple of things that we're doing, uh, just some other stuff. We've uh, uh, started an advisory board. Uh, we have a board of three people, and we just brought on an advisory board of an additional three people. And uh, uh, we chose people uh, for very specific reasons. Uh, you know, uh, Deborah Sanger, the CEO of Finance, she's joined our advisory board, um, mostly because she's the most knowledgeable about cannabis in our entire company. And I always bounce stuff off of her anyway. Uh, we brought on a, a fellow named Bob Simmons. Uh, Bob has uh, a 36-year history with the RCMP uh, here in Canada and uh, was uh, focused on the cannabis industry uh, uh, from the other side of the coin uh, for uh, 15 years while he was there. Uh, he's given seminars and, and taught people about the cannabis industry. And he's coming on board to help us uh, with our own internal security and uh, to really, uh, as an accent to uh, our security advisor, David Hyde, a famous Canadian security advisor here, is fantastic. Uh, but Bob's taking that and helping us make it practical, which is fantastic. And finally, uh, Michelle Cadario, who uh, has uh, significant political connections with uh, both the BC Liberal Party, uh, being a deputy chief of staff to the, uh, to the government there for four years, and then prior to that was a deputy chief of staff uh, in the federal government in the prime minister's office. Uh, important to have people who can make phone calls and get you in front of people to make sure that your company is well represented. You can't just allow for government or the general industry to represent your own requirements. You have to be there. You have to be front and center. You have to be part of uh, part of the conversation or you stand a chance to be left behind and we will not be left behind. Uh, and I also want to make sure that people really uh, keep a watch on us over the next four or five, six weeks. Keep a really close watch on what we're doing. There's a reason to what we're doing right now. There's a reason to why we're doing what we're doing. And when you look back four or five, six weeks from now, you look back on what well, we believe we're going to have accomplished by then, everything will fit into place. Everything will make sense. Our business plan that we're executing on right now, uh, we obviously can't talk about it uh, other than what we've already publicly announced. Um, 
But when you look back on it, you're going to say, now I get it. Now I understand. Now it all makes sense. Uh, it's at that point that I fully expect that we'll no longer be cheap compared to any other uh, cannabis company out there as people will understand the direction we're going. So stay tuned. Next five or six weeks, follow him on Twitter at Clint Sharples. And then uh, I'm sure people can just also check out news on the website, uh, heritagecan.com as well. So uh, first question I have for you, how do the Canadians feel about cryptocurrency? I know you guys don't have the same banking issues, but cryptocurrency just seems to be what everybody's talking about. And what are your personal and country's view on cryptocurrency and how it relates to cannabis? <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a bigger issue for the Americans than it is for Canadians because of your banking structure. Uh, yeah. our, our, charter, our charter banks allow us to have bank accounts because uh, it's, uh, it's, it's decriminalized here and eventually will be legalized. Uh, so cryptocurrency, I, I get the point of it. I get the use. I, I don't, I'm not a fan. Uh, I'm personally not a fan. It seems to have swept our, our country up and Everyone was excited about it until uh, until Bitcoin plummeted here. Uh, I'm a I'm a much bigger fan of the I'm a much bigger fan of blockchain, uh, the, the technology in which cryptocurrency is built. Uh, I, I think that uh, that is going to be the wave of the future. We've made an investment into a blockchain company here on behalf of Heritage. Uh, we intend to develop. We're going to develop our own seed to sale software. We'll still use what's required by Health Canada here, but it, it doesn't do enough. It doesn't do everything we want it to do. So we're going to look to uh, be able to guarantee to our customers quality. When we talk about quality, we take it seriously, and this is part of taking it seriously. Uh, big fan of blockchain, not so much a cryptocurrency. That's sort of my I'll, – I'll, I'll sum it up like that. Makes sense. And now I'm looking at your Twitter and I'm seeing an old car riding around a racetrack. Am I remembering that you told me like for fun, you crash up Derby? Is that what I'm seeing on your Twitter? <laughs> well, well, we, we tend to avoid the crashing as much as possible, even though it does happen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I, I do two things. Uh, the thing about living in a cold country is uh is uh, your your lakes uh, and ponds freeze and uh, well rather than just staring at a frozen pond you go plow a track in there and you throw some scudded tires on your car and you get out there and start racing no uh, way yeah, we gotta... awesome. and these cars oh, Dave, I'm yeah. looking at they're, they're all like little hondas and stuff so it doesn't seem like the vehicle that you would want to uh to, to have in those situations, but also no, that is Hondas are very light and weight. Yes, that makes sense. But this <laughs> is nice. it is yeah. very light and weight, front wheel drive. It has good power, and if you wreck it, you don't care. There so you then, go. What is this I'm looking at? This is like just actual racing. You're not trying to crash into anything here. I think you <laughs> might be looking at a road track. Yeah, Carlos, if you're looking at that. a picture of a. Yeah. I am missing a headlight. Yeah. <laughs> But we take a lot. We take the headlights out. But uh, yeah, it, we we tend to uh, we'll uh, we'll bump into each other from now uh, now and again, uh, depending on how uh, seriously you take your corners. And I take them very seriously, uh, as do a few other guys. So uh, when when nobody gives, that's usually when something gets red. 
<laughs> Eric and I can't figure out how to manage the go-karts around a little yeah. racetrack here. And, and in Canada, are there any other like uh, cannabis-related CEOs that, that do this with you? Like I'm imagining you racing around and Chuck Rafici behind you. and <laughs> or no, You're the only one crazy enough to so, do this? You know, I, I don't know if they do or not. But uh, you know what? It's, uh, it's something that... Uh, you know, if you got a few bucks to to spare, it's not a, it's not extremely expensive, but it's not cheap. Uh, I highly I highly recommend going to your local track, becoming part of the club there. It's a ton of fun, and you know you don't need to be racing Porsches to uh, to get that uh, adrenaline going. You can be out there in a Honda, you can be out there in uh, in a Mazda RX-8 or RX-7, and just zinging around Burn the course and have a yeah, it's you know it's all that fun stuff you ever wanted to do as a kid but couldn't afford. There you go. Well, Clint, I knew I liked you not only uh, from having you on before, but started the show telling me you missed a Toronto Maple Leafs game to be on the show, and then finished with telling us you drive cars around an icy track for fun. So uh, besides having a really good plan that it sounds like you're on top of executing. I really enjoyed talking to you tonight. So I want to remind people who are listening, we're talking to Clint Sharples. He's the director and chairman of Heritage Cannabis Holdings. Check him out on the CSE, they're C-A-N-N.C, and on the OTC, they're U-M-B-B-F, HeritageCan.com. And uh, definitely we'll have you back on in a couple of months to give us an update on these next six weeks that sound like they're going to be critically important for the company. So looking forward to it. Fantastic. So am I. Thanks. Uh, thanks for giving me the time tonight and uh, have a good rest of your show. All right. Appreciate well. it, Clint. You have a good night and let's go on right to our next guest. We're going to go to CEO of Kaya Holdings, Craig Frank. How are you tonight, Craig? Hi, good evening. Good evening, man. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing Okay. Although you sound well, thanks for having bit. me on tonight. There oh, you go. Way we can hear you now. <laughs> now we got you, Craig. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on. No problem. So, for people listening, we're talking to CEO of Kaya Holdings, Craig Frank. You can check him out at kayaholdings.com. Their symbol is K A Y S. And, uh, First question to start off is tell us a little bit about the company in general. Let's just start there. You give us your little elevator pitch on why Kaya Holdings and Kaya Shack is a company people should be paying attention to. Sure. Well, look, we're in a very interesting space, a lot of activity going on. It's very difficult for the investor to keep track of everybody and everything and all the promises being made and the things being done. Um, and uh, we like to think of ourselves as kind of that old steady horse out there that, you know, prods along and uh, keeps getting done what, what we promised to do. Um, it's, it's, uh, we're very focused. We have a, what we think is a good business plan and um, we're very cautious and we're, we understand the space we're in and, the good, good things about it, and the uh, cautionary things about it. And, uh, we think between the brands we we're developing and the uh, concepts we're bringing to market uh, that uh, we merit we merit uh, attention. 
I do like the name, like branding purposes. I do like Kaya Shack. It just I sounds... do too. I don't know why, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. And then when you look at the location, oh, thank, you. thank you. Yeah, that's on location. That means it's, just... that, means it's that means it's uh it's it's working. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so and right now you guys have four locations, one in Portland, three in Salem, although one is like uh in in coming soon or, or one, is almost, soon? One, is, one is coming soon. The last the last one is, is almost almost done. After Craig, you gotta speak up for us there, buddy. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it is There it, you go, yeah. Is it Okay, I'm sorry, my I must uh, move the phone. I apologize. Yeah, um, no, there you the go. Way better. Is the, the, the fourth one is coming online. It took us a long time. We had a lot of problems with the uh, structure itself, but we're 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 almost there. All right. So after number four, are your plans just to take over Oregon, or do you have twelve, twenty-four month plans of being in other states than Oregon? Well, we do. We we. We continue to look, or we'll continue to look at Oregon and see where our growth opportunities are there. But um, we are looking at some other states. As all of the states put out their rules, we evaluate them and try to see whether or not um, there's good opportunity there. And sometimes you don't, have, you, you can't be among the first. Sometimes you have to sit back and wait and let everybody run, and then things sort of settle down a little bit, and then you. And then you come in. So um, we're looking at a number of different states. We don't plan to stay only in Oregon. Makes sense. And currently, correct me if I'm wrong, you have 6,000 square foot facility in Portland and then acquired 26 acres in Lebanon, Oregon. How will those facilities right. work together and support the Kayashak locations? Well, like what's the overall? We, right. We, we phased out the 6,000. So now we're going to focus solely on building out that 26, that 26 acre site where we're going to be putting about 50,000 square feet that will accommodate indoor and then another um, 30,000 or so in um, greenhouses. So we'll have plenty of room to grow as we need. What we grow there will feed the, we'll feed the Kayashak stores. So how close is that? The integration will be vertical. I'm sorry, say that again. I apologize. I was just going to say how close is that 26-acre Lebanon location to being able to grow, and what are you doing in the meantime if you phased out the 6,000-square-foot facility? We, we, We signed agreements with three different farms to supply us during this time. Got it. And perhaps, perhaps afterwards. And um, our guess is um, 12 to 18 months on the farm. Okay. So it's not started yet, but starting soon and will take the next 12 to 18 months to complete. Yeah, starting, you know, between now and, and, and within the next 12 to 18 months. That depends on how fast the licensing goes and then there's some construction issues, and then the plant is the plant, so it it takes its time to do its thing too. So put it all together, you look at somewhere between twelve and eighteen months. Got it. And right now, you guys are uh, 
making about producing about 50 strains. Talk a little about the ones that are proprietary, the Kaya Kush and Unicorn Delight. What makes those proprietary? What's what's so awesome about them? Well, they were actually um, given to us uh, by by uh, two different farmers that they had done they had done some uh, strain work and we 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 named them but but they the the farmers were the ones who actually did the work on them once we get the farm up and up and running we'll have our a whole genetic program of our own yeah and i saw the plans are to be able to go to 200 strains so that sounds like a lot yes. and why so many just to give the the broadest range of what people can buy or we're losing you again, Craig. Sorry about that. Okay, how about how about now? There you go. You're back. Just like you're doing now, you're money. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll I'll I can't I can't move. Okay, I won't move. Um, Trust me. So you'll be happy later. So yeah. we, the, no, I'm, I'm, I, I trust you. The, the, the reason for the 200 strains is so that we can rotate certain strains in and out and use them for really marketing purposes. No different than, you know, seasonal stuff gets brought in and out of other kinds of retailers. So yeah. we want to have sounds like that a way better plan than just having 200 strains. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> and then no, no, people right. like, no, that's not, yeah. No, no. People it's kind wish of like, for the, ones like the Big Mac, uh, not the Big Mac. Right, like the think of ones like the McRib, you know, <laughs> where they take it, they bring it into the market, and then they take it back out of the market, then they bring it into yeah. the market. Uh... So they create sort of an anticipation. Now, our stuff will be – I'm not making an equivalency between the McRib and our stuff, but <laughs> the marketing concepts are, are there. Yeah. Yeah, make people want Your quality it. Quality will just be a little bit better than the <laughs> <Let's> McRib. <laughs> much, much, much better. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. Yes. But now the concept is the same that you create kind of an anticipation, and then you people know. Oh, this time of year is a year that it's a time of year that Kaiashak brings out. You know these strains. Ooh, let's yeah, go. Yeah, I like it. You know that kind of thing. The summer strains. The like, like a. Uh, People do around Thanksgiving and everything becomes pumpkin spice. Yeah, like you can have our your coffees at Wawa. Yeah, you can have your around the <laughs> around the uh, holiday calendar buds that come out, yeah. which is cool. I I saw a sign yeah. on the wall of one of the locations that said Crazy Hour. What is Crazy Hour at Kayashack? Okay, Cra- Crazy Hour has been temporarily um, regulated out. Okay. Uh, the idea, uh, the, 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 idea the idea it was it was they just don't allow it, but the idea was that you pick something and then you announce it fifteen minutes before, and for one hour, the price is just kind of well crazy so okay. Okay, uh, the price reduction so that was what crazy hour was going to be. We were going to do it from time to time, and then um. Uh, we were told by the attorneys that uh, we're not allowed in the state of Oregon to do those kinds of flash sales. Huh. They don't. They it's don't like enticing. That. Is that is that why you're not allowed to do it? I don't. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> right? You're like, I, I don't, I don't no, it's pretend good to idea. understand the rules. I just know I have to follow them. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Now yeah. tell the truth. Did you get that from the blue dot sales at Kmart? <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, you it's, know, it's, got it from, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I, I'm not going to hide that. I'll, I'll tell the truth. I got it from a chicken, a fried chicken place in La Ceiba, Honduras, okay. where I was there once. I, I kid you not. And they had these sirens go off. And I was like, I was concerned because I was in a foreign country and all these sirens. And I asked somebody there was kind, kind enough to share with me what was going on. And he said, oh, it's just, you know, crazy hours. They're just selling the chicken really cheap now. And that's, and I, I remembered that and I said to myself, that's a great marketing idea. And I kept it for when I needed it. So that's great. Craig went from concern to a chicken leg in his mouth in like two minutes. He was like, this is cheap. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Am, am I in danger? No. Okay. Hey, you know. So what about uh, concentrates and edibles? Where are you guys with that? Are you guys just selling flour? No, we, we, we offer, um, I think it's now three different brands of um, concentrates. And we, we have two primary brands on the edible side. And then we also have some topicals and creams and stuff like that. Um, and as we get the farm up and running um, and we get the provisional licenses we require, then we will start to produce some of that stuff on our own as well. Do you have one product that sticks out as your best selling edible? Well, we, we carry two companies and I think they both sell really well. Uh, one is the grown chocolate. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Oregon Market. And the other is a uh, wild. They do like a white chocolate and they do some gummies and stuff. Both of those products are excellent and um, they sell pretty well. I saw when I was looking online uh, something about your Kaya Buddies. Why don't you tell everybody what that is? Okay, Kaya Buddies is our program of pre-rolls or uh, pre-rolls, you know, marijuana cigarettes. Um, what differentiates us is selection. We typically have between 20 to 30 strains on the shelf at all times. Um, and we allow people to mix and match. And you buy, um, you buy five, you get it, you get the sixth one. We can't say free because you're not allowed to give it away for free. But, um, we do have a program where uh, five turns into six and uh, it became a very, very popular program because it saves people the need to uh, roll it themselves. And the wide selection gives people a chance to buy it as a pre-roll and then sample it and decide if they want it, if they want more of it on the flower side. So Exactly. Uh, what really caught my eye about that was, and I want you to tell me if this is true or not, the fact that you guys use 100% bud in your rolls. It's not like the trimming that you're using. No, no, it is true. It's 100%. In fact, one of the lot, the biggest um, uh, 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 consumers of time in the process is actually um, de-stemming afterward the bud. Because when, yeah. you, when we put in the grinder, this kind of big grinder, um, 
it just grinds the buds. It, it grinds the um, them together with the bud. So then we got to stand there and kind of pluck them out. No, it's straight. It's straight bud. We do another thing with the buddy that's kind of fun. Um, we put almost like a a fortune, like out of a fortune cookie. I saw so that. So every every tube in the bud, every buddy has a fortune inside. Just an uplifting message, kind of, you know. Uh, Are they all like cannabis related? Smile. No, no, not at all. Just, just love uh, in general. Yeah, just you know, be happy kind of thing, and you know. That's cool. Well, I don't want to skip over my yeah. point of bringing that up because I I buy pre rolls and I cut one open the other day and it was a horrible roll. So I love that you guys do that and just use your bud. What is the cost? Like you said, you get what was it, five and then one, one in addition, so yeah. six. <laughs> I get four, and that's an eighth. So what, what do you what do you sell the the six for? They're they're six bucks with tax after after tax each. So five dollars okay. before. Okay, so, that's right on. That's amazing. Six becomes for thirty bucks. Very good. That was not so bad. that's a, that's a great price for full bud, especially. So we want them to be accessible, affordable, um, and, and we think the selection really, really um, excites people. It's what excited me? Chance to try something at a very low risk. Yeah, I love the idea of your delivery service. Can you talk a little about that? The Kaya cars. And what I really want to know sure. is what obstacles are there? Because that seems like such a great idea, but then seems very difficult to implement and have the regulation behind it that dispensaries have. So, Well, the, the, the state of Oregon passed a law that permits um, uh, delivery. So from there to the actual delivery is a um, – the government really doesn't put too much of a problem in your way. There's just some some uh, uh, rules you have to be compliant with. The imp- implementation of those rules, however, becomes somewhat um, uh, difficult. For example, you have to have a safe inside the cars. But there isn't really a safe made for cars that suit the specs to take a different say and that kind of thing. So the road to getting there is just sort of troubleshooting your way past some of the roadblocks. Um, and then you have to have, you can't just deliver to somebody who's not with you or who, who hasn't in some way demonstrated their age prior. So, now we have to work out the technology side where if somebody calls us up, how do we ver- verify their age? Because that technology isn't, isn't there. Right. Um, and then are you so, only allowed to deliver within a certain footprint of your physical locations or does the state not? No. Yeah, wow. That's what was so cool. You can deliver anywhere within the city that you're licensed. Okay. So, so you can have delivery all over Portland, all over Salem, right? Yeah. Now. Right. Yeah. That's the idea. And then Lebanon, when you have that facility open, does that let you do anything in the county Lebanon's located no. as well? No. no. 
No, got to be no, worth the expense. No. It's not. It wouldn't be a re- yeah. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to sell out of the re- out of the Lebanon location. So right now, how many cars are in operation? Four. We haven't started the actual deliveries. We're just okay. getting. We're just. We're finishing up with the with the. Now they're getting fitted with the with the safe. The technology is being integrated into the POS, and then we should be good to go. And where will you find your drivers? Is that something where you want to have, like, security guard drivers, like armored trucks have the big – or does it not really matter because things are going to be in safe? Sorry, Stan. <laughs> you know, we'll make sure that our drivers are, have proper security protocol. Um, they will understand um, how to stay safe. Um, so there's not going to be a flashing be sign saying I'm delivering weed. Well, no, it's a ca- <laughs> if you, well, you see the Kaya cars, cars, cars are they? Yeah, it's no, a wrapped little Fiat. Yeah, yeah, they are. Flashy. They, they, they will say we're delivering weed, perhaps, but first of all, you're, you're not really allowed to have a whole bunch of it to begin with in the car they we're losing you again Craig make sure whatever you're doing like fix get back to how you I'm sorry it. how about now how about now that's perfect yeah, you're good again yeah I guess I moved I'm sorry okay what I'm, what I'm trying to get you a headset that, yeah yeah uh, any wise oh, yeah. criminal would not would not target those cars because they would know that there's not sufficient cash nor marijuana yeah. in those cars to make them Got worth it. stealing from. And it's but insane. should a less than right should a less than wise criminal um, uh, seek to uh, uh, rob the the car, then the driver is instructed to to comply with their wishes and right. and remain safe. You know. Right. But I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think. I don't think we need the SWAT teams. You know, protecting us. I just for a couple ounces of weed. I think you're probably right. <laughs> I'm just yeah, saying, hire some, hire some big dudes in those little Fiat. <laughs> Love it. All right, so maybe I, only, I, for the, only only for the comic effect, we should probably do that. You know, right? That would be really funny. <laughs> clowns, <laughs> giant clowns. <laughs> the six foot four guy gets yeah. out of that little. <laughs> What is it, a Volkswagen a bog that they're out oh, a, a Fiat, Fiat. Yeah. yeah. Car would lift yeah, up like a foot. Fiat. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. So some stock questions for you, Craig. Uh, in May yeah. 2017, a 10K came out reporting your revenues going up 200% from 2015 to 200, or 2016. How much did your debt increase during that same period that your revenues increased that much? You know, I don't, I don't know the exact answer to that, but I, I won't, I won't um, escape scot-free. The, the short answer is that the way we raise money today is um, through, through debt instruments, primarily, and depending on uh, how much money we were raising at that time, uh, that would probably be an indication of how much debt. Assume during that time. So, well, I don't have the exact number. Um, the answer is that if that's how we raise our money through debt. 
Understood. So, like, give us a for instance for recent news was a financing agreement with Canyon VC for $5.8 million. How is that structured to be paid back? And when? When does that start? Oh, in, in, we have years. We, we, we have years to to begin. They they are a um, extremely uh, friendly investor, and they work with us when we need debt postponed. Uh, they've uh, traditionally postponed a debt with us, um, but the way that that is structured now, we have I think it's eighteen months until we begin on some of it and we have years we have plenty of t- plenty of time to uh to and then it looks like converted out looks like you guys had a previous deal with them for 3.3 million is that in repayment now or is that also something that doesn't have to be paid back till in the future it's not it's, it hasn't cut yeah it's not till the future there was one debt with them we we they agreed to extend out um which they'll do if we if when we need them to. So, got it. And now for expansion, because I know it's all about growth in the 26-acre facility, are the revenues from Kaya Shacks a good portion of what's going to be used to fund that expansion, or is it going like you said, is it mostly the financing agreements that are going to allow you to build, and then that's going to bring in the revenues to pay back the debt. It, yeah, no, it's mostly the finance agreements. The 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 way we we are looking at it now, the the farm and the introduction of a uh, manufacturing capacity will significantly lower our cost of goods, and will will be the difference between, or will be very helpful in allowing the company's uh, retail operations to uh, move into uh, move into the black. So um, borrowing the money to get that farm done, it, it, in our mind, is making good sense. And Craig, the one thing that I saw investors maybe questioning online a little bit was quarterly and annual reports seem to be a little bit late in filing. What causes them to become late, and how can you correct that in the in the future to, you know, let you know make people more comfortable that they're seeing those numbers sooner than later? Yeah, you know, we're we're technically late but not late because we we always file within that permitted late period. Grace period. Um, yeah, you know, so we're always filing. We always file on time, but um, after after the after the permitted date, but within the permitted grace period. Um, I don't have a real good excuse for why we do that, other than um, we kind of fell into that pattern, and our accountants deal with many other clients as well. It's a very busy time. And I think we naturally sort of get pushed maybe toward the back. Um, and we don't yell enough to push ourselves back up. Um, our assumption always was that as long as we're within that grace period, people, people tend to understand. Um, I've read a lot of the online complaints 
that wasn't the one that stuck out uh, to me. Um, what sticks out but, to you? Uh, oh God, the hovel names they call us. It's it's hysterical. It's uh, it's uh, it's really it's what people do when they're behind their computer screens just uh, fascinates me. But um, I will I will talk to the accountant so and I will I will take it to heart and I will see if this year if we can get that uh, that K in uh, before the grace period. People love to say it. Just yeah, I can't that, do anything to help. Um, yeah, feeling like something's on time just feels like people are more together. Not, like okay. you said, you're within the grace period. But yeah, yep. no, no, no. I, you know, I'll be honest. I, I sometimes if it didn't, if it wouldn't matter to you, you don't know that it matters to others. Um, right. But I, I hear it, and I will, I will uh, take it to heart, and I will make it a mission to, um, to show this year that we do it. Make it a mission. It's a must. It'll happen. That's how it works. So there you go. There you go. It'll happen. All right. So I, I, I also read online the next year. <laughs> yeah. I read online uh, the company's affiliation with Parents for Pot with NFL great Giants legend Lawrence Taylor. Second time we've yeah. heard LT's name related to cannabis. Yeah. What is that foundation, and how are you guys a part of it? Okay, I don't, I don't know what else LT may be doing with um, uh, with uh, um, marijuana. Um, LT plays golf with a very good friend of mine, and uh, through that relationship, on a number of occasions, I've gotten to spend time with him as well. And um, we were looking to donate something to auction off for parents for pot so that they could um, raise a little money. And I just asked, you know, if I bought some footballs, will you sign them? Uh, I told him who it was going for. He said, yes. I asked if he would like us to, or if it would be okay if we included him, that he did this for them. He said, yes. And, and we did. I am looking Right up above you, Stace, is LT's college Carolina helmet. So I'm a little bit of a not a Lawrence Taylor fan because I'm an Eagles fan, so he was a giant. But LT, one of the greatest football players ever. So, so it sounds like what you guys did was just got some balls signed for the foundation, and then those balls are somehow sold online or something to raise money for. They sold it. They had a in 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 Portland. They had an event with an auction of some kind and. They auctioned them off. And we had one or two that we sold in the store, and we gave 100% of the proceeds to uh, to the parents for pot. It's cool. Yeah. So we're talking about LT's balls right now. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I yes, we are. <laughs> two men talking about LT's balls. You caught us. His, his, his autograph. Right. Signed, <laughs> well, there you go. Signed that balls. makes all the difference. <laughs> Not just any balls. Yes. <laughs> so anything we didn't cover, we got a couple of minutes left. So I like to turn the last couple of minutes over to the CEO to say, "All right, we asked you some questions. Anything that we didn't ask that you think is important for current or future investors to know about the company?" No, I think if there was just a, a a message I would. Um, tried to share it's, it's that um, we've 
thought this thing through in terms of its branding. Um, uh, we may not execute everything within a timetable that we set. Sometimes um, we're a little more ambitious than uh, we should have been, but um, we'll always execute. We'll always we'll always get it get it done one way or another. And um, we're not big on the hype. Um, it's not really uh, the kind of person I am. I'm not going to go out there and start to talk about what I think I'm going to do in five years or, you know, hobnob with, with, with celebrities and stuff. But um, we are going to plow through and get done what, we're, what we said we're going to get done. We're going to create a really good, um, long-term, stable, profitable uh, cannabis company. You're in a great state to start. So uh, you're listening to CEO of Kaya Holdings, Craig Frank. Check them out, uh, kayaholdings.com, and find their ticker symbol, K-A-Y-S. And look forward to having you back on, Craig. I know this is the second time you've well, been thank on, you. so I'd love to have you on in the future and talk a little bit more about how the next 12 months goes with the building a new 28-6-acre facility. And uh, when you guys start producing greater amounts of cannabis, I'm looking forward to hearing some of those new crazy strains like the next Unicorn Delight and Kayakush. So enjoyed having you on, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. No problem. That was Craig Frank, CEO of Kaya Holdings. And now let's go to our last guest. Get done. I mean, he is a pot stock investor, so we are going to talk a little pot stocks. But this is mostly fun and an activist who's an entrepreneur and just an overall pro-cannabis dude. Welcome to Potstock Radio, Chris Goodwin. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Dude, glad, to have you on, glad to have you on, Chris. Ending the show with some fun. Right on. So let's jump right into 420 Toronto Festival 2018. New location, Tell us why you moved and why the new location is going to be the best one ever. Well, Young and Dundas Square, uh, 12 years ago, was just a couple hundred of us, you know, smoking out the square, and it grew to thousands, and then it grew to tens of thousands. Uh, Young and Dundas Square, although a very central location, right in the middle of every, it's like Times Square, New York, for Toronto, and uh, it got and too full. Yeah, you, you just can't hold any more than the you know ten or twelve thousand people, and we were getting fifteen to twenty thousand, so it was uh, flooding into the streets. And Nathan Phillips Square is in front of City Hall in Toronto, and uh, it's a great venue that can hold fifty thousand people. So we're excited to to grow this event even bigger. Sweet, and you can check them out on Facebook, four twenty Toronto. 2018 just search that and it'll take you right to their page it's a long uh forward slash that you wouldn't want to write down but if you just search on facebook no we have we have a facebook slash 420 toronto twitter 420 toronto you can oh, go awesome. to 420 toronto yeah 420 toronto and then that'll take you to 2018 i love a slogan i heard you say chris which is so long as they treat us as second class citizens we'll respond with civil disobedience as a guy who's been arrested 15 times for all cannabis-related stuff, give us an idea of where that came from and, and how that became ingrained as your philosophy. Well, that's a long story, I guess. But I, I'm more of you know a libertarian <laughs> on the issue, like Mark Emery. Uh, I, I tend to you know believe in smaller government and that kind of thing, and we – 
you know, prohibition is such an injustice. It's an unjust law. And I, I believe that, you know, an unjust law is no law at all. And uh, for the first like four or five years of my activism in my late teens and early twenties, I, I actually tried to go the legitimate road. I was a student at McMaster university in political science and my wife was in nursing and we owned our own home and we're married. And, um, that was a, a past marriage by the way, but, um, I started to learn that that would go nowhere. And uh, it was Mark Emery online in the late 90s. Uh, he sent me a private message when I was on his cannabis forums looking for ways to do something different. Uh, he encouraged me to stop <laughs> the legitimate stuff. Like I, I did a hemp awareness seminar where I had uh, the, the city councilor and, 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 and only 30 people showed up. It barely made the, you know, the ninth page of the newspaper in the bottom corner. And he said, if you really want to make traction, you want people to hear your your views on prohibition and why the war on drugs is wrong, openly disobey the law and practice civil disobedience, and I'll teach you what to do. And and he did. And uh, within you know a year a year later, I did my first 420 smokeout. So I started putting up posters around Hamilton, Ontario, the city I'm from, and and saying at 2 p.m. on April 20th, I'm gonna you know smoke marijuana downtown Toronto, and I'm gonna give out joints and and when I showed up that day at like 10 minutes to two, I was actually kind of late. I was hoping to get there early. There was already camera crews, five police cars, a group of about 50 people. And yeah, we smoked out that, uh, that downtown core and, and a bunch of us got arrested, but the next year we did it. And now a thousand people showed up and nobody got arrested. And I started getting cocky. And, and so I opened up my own, you know, cannabis lounge and it got raided within five days. And, the next wow. 420, we had 5,000 people, so I opened up another lounge, and it oh, stayed open shit. three years and got raided four times. So, and then I moved to the Vapor Lounge to Toronto and started the first 420 in Toronto, and that Vapor Lounge still exists, you know, 12 years later, and 420 Toronto is bigger than ever. And so in the last couple of years, though, I've uh, moved on from just Vapor Lounges and 420 Smokeouts. And with Mark Emery and Jody Emery, we opened a whole bunch of dispensaries and uh, some of them the busiest in, in, in Canada or North America in some cases. Mark Emery's shop and my shop that we had on Church Street here in Toronto, we would get, you know, 2,000 people a day. We we were, it was the, the busiest dispensary I've ever seen. And uh, it ran for, you know, a good year and a half. So uh, we've been doing some, pretty impressive activism so that quote basically was that you know i've been fighting for repeal my whole life and i'm not as concerned about what local places do even provincially every province in canada is kind of doing something different and i don't really have a concern about that as long as it's not an injustice so as long as injustices prevail as long as people are still being arrested if this is like a prohibition 2.0 like some people are claiming it's going to be then people like me are just going to openly disobey the law because I believe it's the best tactic. I believe it's what got us to where we are today. And when we talk about things being just or unjust, you got caught up in that Project Gator. What are your thoughts on that? And was that something you felt was just just and you were caught up in, or was that more bullshit on the government side? Well, obviously that's a, that's a massive injustice on an enormous scale. Project Gator wasn't just – like. Uh, there was the one before that, right? Uh, Project Claudia, they arrested, you know, they raided 50 dispensaries in Toronto. And mm -hmm. uh, we opened our shop the next day in defiance of that raid. And uh, 
but Project Gator was specifically cannabis culture. It was specifically me and my wife and Mark and his wife and, and uh, one other investor that we have from Hamilton, uh, Brittany. Uh, she's wonderful. And uh, so, but it was a, you know, a nationwide raid. They raided the shops in Vancouver, their offices in Vancouver, all of our shops in Toronto, all of our homes. Um, it, it was a, and then, you know, we spent a couple of days in jail before we got bail and we resolved that situation two months ago. Uh, we all pled guilty, uh, to, to, uh, just like one possession for the purpose of trafficking and possession of proceeds of crime and right. those two charges. And we all got a, a fine and probation. So that's, that's how that story ended up working out. And when you were arrested, why did they have you and Mark and Jody Embry not be able to communicate? Why didn't they want you to even talk to each other? Well, that's just standard whenever you're co-accused or arrested in any, uh, you know, I could still talk to my wife, even though she's my co-accused, and Mark could still talk to his wife, even though, but we couldn't talk to each other. Uh, if it was any other crime, it'd be the same condition. If you get out on bail, you're 99% of the time, unless there's some good excuse, uh, you're not allowed to communicate directly or indirectly with your co-accused. But now that you guys pled guilty, that's no problem. You guys are still able but to we, communicate. We, we also met with our lawyers you know, every two weeks or every four weeks or something. So there was many dinners and long hours of, of being around each other. Uh, but that's not the same thing as you know, it, it destroys relationships in a lot of cases. Marijuana activism is, is risky for a lot of reasons. Chris, you brought up your wife, Erin, um, and I have an interest in this, just <laughs> being Eric's wife on the other side here. Um, was she, you know, an advocate for marijuana before you guys got together, or is this something you kind of had to ease her into? <laughs> you had to rope her into. Or is she on no, her own? No, no, no. She's, she's more strong-willed than me in many cases. You know, she's much more willing to, uh, to risk her freedom for you know, the cause, uh, that was something I admire about her. It, it's, you know, my first wife, I, I was, you know, like I mentioned, I was 18 when I got married, 19 when I got my first house for somebody like me, who she eventually became a registered nurse. And I eventually became, you know, uh, an activist who's gotten arrested many, many, many times. And, uh, there's an old story about me that was pretty famous where, when we had our first son, uh, uh, children's aid society came after us and, you know, it's devastating, you know, see, a lot of times people say that, um, you know, that like I heard you saying earlier that I had balls and you don't or something, but to me, it actually doesn't <laughs> feel that way. I actually don't, I don't have any negative emotional effects due to my activism. It's actually one of the reasons I do do it, uh, right. is because it actually doesn't harm me. I've learned, and it's a very hard lesson. A lot of people from 15, 20 years ago till today, I've had to be very resolved on this and that, um, people seem like they're enthusiastic about civil disobedience, about doing a 420 smoke, about opening a dispensary, but we have to be triple careful that we that they know that the risks involved are could be handcuffed and overnight in jail and court bail and then court appearances and and yes. then television cameras and and then the stress of everyone around you telling you that it's a very bad idea. Uh, family, friends, and loved ones will, will for sure say, stop doing what you're doing. So there's all these stresses on people. And I've seen a lot of people in my life break down. They just can't take it. They've had enough. They're done. They, they emotion, it's an emotional wreck uh, to go through something like this. But to me, I thrive in this environment. 
So yeah. uh, in, in some cases, it's actually a positive. I'm smiling getting arrested. I know the outcome, and, and I, I'm, I'm encouraged by it. So um, my first wife wasn't really ready for all that. So it, it, it uh, but, you know, she, she was with me the whole time. She was very, um, you know, supportive. But when, when, when it came down to it, that, you know, it, it can cause the end of relationships. But uh, my current wife, we're, we've been together 10 years now, and I, I couldn't be happier. She's the most wonderful woman ever. She's pregnant now. We're about to have our first child. And, uh, but she's been arrested more times than me in the last 10 years. So, um, she's, 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 uh, she's a wicked activist and I respect her dearly for it. And you also have another woman in your life who you had to deal with some stuff with your activism about. Is it true that your mom used to call the cops on you for smoking weed as a kid? Cause she didn't know how to get you to stop. Right. Well, not used to. She did once. Yes. And that's kind of started my activism in a lot of ways. Like I actually, I, I, you know, uh, commend you for mentioning my Goodster Candle Company earlier on. I was listening and almost (laughs) no one mentions that. But yeah, when I was 16, 15, 16, a friend of mine, Adam Sankster and I and Chris Goodwin, we started Goodster Candles and uh, we got our product in about 70 stores, scented candles. A lot of friends and family bought them. And and it, a lot, like you mentioned, a lot of it was because the high descent of just smoking weed uh, everywhere yeah. in garages or in friends' places that. or whatever. And we eventually sold the company to the Great Canadian Candle Company, which is kind of a cool story too. But uh, and then about six months later, after the good candle stuff, I'm eventually going to go to McMaster uh, Mohawk College. I do I did a semester there, and I'm 18 years old. My wife is still 17; she's a year younger. And my mom does find five five. Five fibers of oil and a blunt and a, a baggie with about three and a half grams in it. And yet she claimed she was calling a friend of hers and didn't know what to do. And that friend happened to be a police officer. And that police officer claimed that the call, now he had to respond. He was told about a crime. So she claimed she didn't mean to do it because when I got home that day, there was five cop cars around my house. And uh, me and wow. my first wife spent the night in jail. and I ended up pleading to a simple possession, got a year probation and a thousand dollar fine, and and oh, uh, but it, it, it was it was that it was that occurrence that caused me to start seeking out alternative ways to to battle prohibition and getting onto the original cannabis culture forums in the late '90s, and then Mark about maybe six months after that saying, "Hey, you know, stop doing it normally and openly defy the law." I mentioned the candle company just because to me, like that's how I was as a kid. I was looking for ways to make money, and the fact that you saw a market and could have just sold weed to make money, and instead you were like, no, let me service this market. There's something that they need here when they smoke. They need it not to stink, and I can just sell candles and turn that into a business that probably funded your personal use, but it's a uh, it yeah. it was very profitable. you're an entrepreneur. It does, yeah. Yeah, I, I I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years. I don't. I guess I consider some of that entrepreneurial as well. But yeah, opening vapor lounges, opening the Up and Smoke Cafe, uh, opening Vapor Central in Toronto, and the cannabis cultures we've opened. It's uh, being an entrepreneur has been good to me. I wish I thought a little bit more like you. I shoved a fabric softener sheet in a toilet paper hole. <laughs> That's how we did it. it. <laughs> Pretty much everyone's done the, you know, the, yeah, the, the, the paper towel, towel. right? 
not a new idea. So getting back to talking about 420 Toronto, uh, looks like you have a ridiculous lineup of guests. Give us some of the highlights, some of the people that you're excited to see there. Musical guests, speakers. Oh, man, oh, man. Every year the lineup is like 100 people long. Uh, I try my best. Like For years I've been putting on these comedy shows. So in a lot of ways, the 420 Toronto has been actually called the 420 Toronto Comedy Festival. Half yeah. of it has yeah, been yeah. comedians, like local Toronto comedians as well as international comedians that are in Toronto at the time. And, and we end up putting up like 50 comedians and they do stand-up comedy for the, for the crowd. But then we also put up another like 50 activists, all the people that I've, you know, been shoulder to shoulder with in this fight all these years. And, uh, and, and they all get anywhere from, you know, two to 10 minutes to, to give their speech to the crowd we also invite as many politicians and 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 uh, and pro- high-profile people as we can. We would want, like for years we'd want the mayor there or you know Justin Trudeau or but yeah. we, we've had our city councilor, we've had our local MP, um, and, and that's about it. <laughs> Trudeau ever go or just no, he was no. invited? Yeah, you invite them. Yeah, we no. we invite them every year. Like, see, our event is they might actually go to something a little more. I don't even want to say legitimate because over the years it, it's grown to become a farmers market, right? Instead of just a smokeout, the first like four or five years, that's all it really was. It was a smokeout. But then on the sixth year, a bunch of people started setting up booths and selling weed, yeah. and yeah. and now now every booth sells weed, and now. It, it, it's grown to become this massive event, and um, and then vendors. yeah, and then well, well, at Young and Dundas Square, we could only fit thirty vendors. At, at Nathan Phillips Square, we can fit three hundred. Wow! So it, um, I have to turn down more people at Young and Dundas. I used to, I had to make people share booths, uh, even with thirty vendors. It could sometimes be like fifty or sixty if everyone had a half booth. So it was just such a small area that I couldn't do much more than that. But uh, yeah, at Nathan Phillips Square, we could have 300 vendors. And I love that you're uh, right before 420, Mark Emery's going to be speaking. So cool the way you lined well, it up. that was last there. year. I think Mark Emery announced on his Twitter a couple weeks ago. I thought he was going to be in Toronto this year, but I think he's going to oh, be in right. Europe somewhere. Oh, lineup. Right. It won't be it won't be anything like that actually probably it'll be a lot more jumbled than that and a lot differently but that was last year's lineup at Young and Dundas Square that you're probably looking at. Yeah, I am. It was on the four uh, four twenty Toronto two thousand eighteen, but I looked at it and that is the seven two thousand seventeen events. Right. I just leave it up there and until I change it. I haven't announced this year's lineup yet. I oh, yeah. uh, I work on things. It, it, this event takes six months of my time, part time, but it, it, it's a lot of work uh, to produce. What do you think is the hardest of part event. of putting it together, Chris? Yeah, what's the like, behind the scenes stuff that we would never know that sound? Because you know, I, I used to host bikini contests, and everyone would think and that was really hard. To well, do. well, listen, I'll tell you, <laughs> it looked like it was a lot of fun on the outside, yeah. but arguing with pretty girls about that they think they look fat tonight or they didn't realize this was the night that Grey's Anatomy was on yeah. it's really not fun when you're a married dude who's really doing it for promotional purposes so give us some of those like why you would think this is fun but it's not always well <laughs> in some ways it's it's both right first of all it's it's like our new it's the new year's for stoners so it's but I have to work 
You know, most people right. aren't working on New Year's. They're <laughs> enjoying, fun. you know, the celebration and they're kissing their spouse. And so it's, I'm not. I'm on a headphones dealing with security and I'm, you know. Right. So yeah. I still love it. It's still great, but I, it's, it's still a job and I take it seriously. Yeah. Um, the behind the scenes stuff, I guess, uh, like any normal event, just dealing with the logistics of dealing with the city and permits and all that kind of stuff is, is the most annoying part of it all. But I, I tend to do it pretty well. Um, and, and then the hardest thing additionally about the event is I get threatened 10 ways every year about the fact that we're all breaking the law and that they're going to enforce the law. In the beginning, yeah. they used to set up barricades to stop us from entering the square, right? So they would have wow. lineups of police and their bikes. And if we cross the line, the cops would come up to us and we'll arrest all of you right now. And we would still cross the line. So that's the, the I think the toughest part. Most people won't, uh, but we will. Right. And then, like you said, then there's 2,000 of you, and they can't really stop you. They just had to monitor you. Right, but they could still make our lives difficult, and they could still arrest me, and it would cause a commotion, but they, they have done it in the past, and they would, in some cases, do it again. They threaten me to do it every time. And they threaten me while the event's going on that um, that certain vendors are selling things that they didn't they don't approve of, or yeah, and, and they're going to arrest that vendor right now, and, and if I don't but I tell them not to, and I, I tell them that we're going to continue doing it. We're not going to stop either, so I'm not going to listen to your demands. But, uh, so that's the, you know, that's the difficult part is holding your ground. Most people succeed, yeah. and we just don't. Love it. What's the craziest shit you've ever seen happen at one of them? Yeah, good one, Steve. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> well, before we actually had a permit, the, about the – fourth or fifth year in, in in toronto probably the fourth um it, it wasn't even on the square but it ended up falling into the square but on the sidewalk around the outskirts and it's a busy downtown core somebody had a gun and pulled it out and uh and the whole crowd screamed when somebody else yelled gun and it caused everybody to start running in one direction and bongs started breaking and uh, people started getting trampled and and a medical patient with a cane, with one of those like uh, four pillar stands on the bottom of the cane, yeah, attacked him with attacked him with the cane and then put it over his neck while he was on the ground. And cops didn't get there for another ten minutes. It was the craziest scene I've ever. So that was probably the craziest thing. But actually, a lot of things, you know, that from that encounter, the police now um, went into the meetings with Young and Dundas Square in the city of Toronto and advocated that we get a permit because at least then I could apply for insurance and I could hire security and I could, you know, there, there'd be other ways in which the event would be safer, even right. though that there's civil disobedience going on. So with that, you know, you don't realize the effects that some of these events can have. Yeah, you gotta, sure. you gotta try your best to make sure like thousands of people don't all lose their high at one time because that's what happens. Someone pulls out a gun, you're pretty much starting the festival over. Like, all right, we're all totally straight again. Damn it! And that was like a, it was like at four o five p.m. too, or four oh. eight four o eight too. So it, it it almost ruined it. The whole crowd did end up cheering because by by four eighteen we were kind of back on track, and two minutes later we had. We had our 420 smoke out, and everyone cheered, and, and it ended up being a, <laughs> a 
safe the on the end. But the cane was carried on people's shoulders, probably. The recovery it it was like that. Time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that guy was a hero. He was being in the media for the next few days, and it was a pretty okay. big story. We almost lost the event because of it. I can't underestimate how serious it was. But um, had but that gone end, gone off, had in the end, it did. Yes. <laughs> All right, so so that's the craziest shit you've ever seen. You talk about like people you invited, Justin Trudeau. Uh, who's the coolest person that actually ever came to it? You know, maybe someone who was just in Toronto who all of a sudden Chappelle shows up or someone like that. Anybody cool that you could uh, remember in the past? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not really good with name dropping this way, but like we've had a lot of celebrities on our stage actually, like. Hosting like uh, pot comedy shows like Joe Rogan and Ari Shafir have come to town a lot and done our stage and but never on 420. Um, I've tried to hire some big name acts, but they're almost always being outbid by some American 420 that's willing to pay them a hundred grand or something yeah. to show up on that day. Um, so it's been it's eh, I haven't really Not worried so much to kill it. That's who you got to get there is like Rogan or Ari Shafir or Joey Diaz, one of those guys who just really love to smoke and party might take that event over something stuffy that someone's willing to pay him a lot of money for when they don't really need it. So you're on the right track, man. We've been pretty close to having Cypress Hill at the event. They, they oh, sent us a few contracts, thing. but um, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, you got me stumped a little. No, it's all right, man. So so how many people – I know you said 30 vendors. How many people are you expecting to show this year? And are you guys selling tickets to the event? No, no. It's a free event. I end up – like the event normally costs about $50,000 to run, and it probably only brings back in about forty five. So – I don't – you know, it's a charity for me. It's a nonprofit type thing. My whole point has been the open civil disobedience nature of the event itself. Um, Yeah. But yeah, we've traditionally been getting about 20,000 people at the event every year for the last five years, and that's just too much for the, the old square to handle. I, I suspect we could get 25,000 or more this year. So uh, I, I've never really liked to estimate, though, even back in the day in my first protests, like when I first got 1,000 people and on my third year, they're like, how many do you expect? So like if, if I was to say two and only 1,000 showed up, is that a failure? You know, right. so I, I don't, I, you know, if I say 25, but only 20 show up, it, it, you know, so I don't know, but you never know, I it love, could be 40 or 50,000. Dude, I love that you're doing this pretty much to just have everybody disobey together. Like if you're not doing it for the money, you just want a large group of people to disobey, which is awesome sounding. Now what happens after 2018 if things become recreationally legal and then no one's really breaking the law, then it's just a big party that goes on, right? Yeah, it's probably not something I will I will organize anymore. It'll be boring now and it'll be <laughs> Yeah, but I, I I assume the event will continue kind of like the way Pride Festival uh you know was originally yeah. civil disobedience and became you know, corporatized and have Scotiabank sponsoring 420. I don't know. It's that'll probably happen. Uh, I just all handed off to a different group of people to do that. That's awesome. Once it's legal, you're like, yeah, that's not what I'm about. I was trying to spread the word about the injustice, not promote the uh, legitimacy. 
uh, well, or I the could, corporatization of the whole event, like, or you know, I, I, yeah, it's hard to say what I would do. So let's say this year I'm a newbie, which I would love to be a newbie going to your event for the first time. What should a newbie who hasn't been there expect in in a day? Like not crazy expectations, but like what's the atmosphere? What really happens during the event that goes from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m.? So I know it's a lot, but there's some highlights. Well, to expect. at 10 a.m., it's it, it's pretty empty. You can get there, and there's almost no one there, and then the vendors are all still just finally setting up. And it, but by noon, you probably can't move. And wow. uh, so it, it, sometimes it's even a little uncomfortable for some people. It's, it's, a, it's a large festival. So uh, all those vendors and the speakers on stage, as well as, you know, the camera crews that are all, we get every major media outlet there and they all want to interview everyone. Um, a little bit like pride. Now it's become where uh, uh, festival goers can like go up to a cop with a joint and hug them and while getting a picture taken and, uh, they tend to smile and also throw up the peace sign and, and they're a little friendlier about it. So um, it just is what it is. It's a whole bunch of people openly defying the law where they wouldn't have been able to get away with it the day before or the day after. It's awesome. Don't threaten me with a good time. All right. I heard a phrase that <laughs> I got to know what it is. What's a hash mob? Hmm. Well, that it's exactly what it sounds like. It, it's uh, it, it's a group of people that there's power in numbers, right? And we learned this yeah. earlier on. So it it all depends on how many people. And it, it comes from Vancouver and David Malmo Levine, uh, who taught me a lot more of the specifics of civil disobedience. Like there's a technique called hug power, where at the very beginning of every event we get the whole crowd, even if it's a hundred or if it's a thousand or 10,000 to, to openly all put up their hands and swear that they will be civilly disobedient. They will be loud. They will, you know, be proud, but that they will remain calm. They will not be violent, that they will, you know, they will not cause any destruction. But if somebody is getting arrested, that they will promise to help defend that person by giving them a hug. And it works it, it, <laughs> with enough people, with, with, with enough. Uh, I've seen, seen people be unarrested before in cuffs they got and 10 12 people hugging them um and having cops trying to throw the people off of the person and eventually giving up and hug. eventually conceding and uncuffing the person and um Funny. so we don't allow people to get arrested at 420 this is our event this is our day um okay. and uh and it works i like it I love it, man. I more than like it, dude. You, you got it. He's just and Stace. Now you know why I said and he. He doesn't think of it that way. That's giant balls to just yeah, be like, no, I'm gonna do this because I believe it. And even though this isn't what anyone in my family thought I should do, or probably a lot of friends tried to talk him out of, he believed in it so much that he's gonna do it until they make it legal, and that's when he's gonna stop doing it. So that's what. I'm that's, right. You are one of my favorite guests ever, Chris Goodwin. So I uh, oh, someday would love to come up north and hang out in Toronto at a 420 Toronto. By the way, the event is, of course, April 20th, Nathan Phillips Square from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And it's a free event. So if you're anywhere near there and not going, you're crazy. Where else would you rather be? And between, uh, you know, 4 and 418, we tend to we give out 
about 10,000 joints to the crowd for free. Um, wow. We will obviously want that puff of smoke that <laughs> sometimes it won't happen unless we give away that amount of marijuana. It <laughs> ends up being pounds. It takes us about three weeks to roll it. Wow. Um, but uh, right, the, the pictures of 420 Toronto, you can see them on YouTube and stuff. If you watch the videos that start at like 418, 419, or there's the countdown ones, 420 yeah, Toronto countdown. I saw. Now that I think it, it about it, it goes from being a it goes from being a clear day. You can see, you know, for a mile, and then you can't see, you know, twenty feet. So yeah. one of the impressive. friends of the show is a guy named Wolf of Weed Street, who's been up to four twenty What's that? Yeah, he buys ban he buys banner ads. Like we well, put up banners of his around the square, and he flies up every year, and we treat him well. Oh, I'm not surprised. Jason's a good dude. You know, one of the reasons Potstock Radio exists. So, and now that you say right. that, I kind of remember him putting up 420 Toronto pictures where it was just like you had to look for his face in between the smoke. So, right. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff, Chris. So, anything we didn't cover, anything else you want to get out about the event or just let everyone know? Go to Facebook, go to Twitter. It's 420 Toronto Festival 2018, and it's Nathan Phillips Square from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Right, right. Did, did you have any pot stocks at all or anything? Or um, I mean, know. listen, yeah, what do you follow? Being a guy up north, what are the companies that you – and again, we're all just giving our opinions here. What are the companies that you follow closest and believe in? So I'd love to hear your opinions. Well, I'm glad you had Clint on earlier because I've obviously been a big fan of Umbral, as he mentioned. I'm a huge shareholder. They're, they're a, a majority of my my shares are in Heritage now. Um, but my wife and I have been no buying debt. that. Like, sorry? I love that they have no debt. What was the reason yeah, no why debt. you guys? Yeah. Well, I don't know. In some ways, it upsets me that, that on his advisory board now, he just brought in a, an ex-cop that's been busting us for 30 years. Because one of the big reasons I like them is because I heard in their, you know, uh, about a year and a half ago, there was this document going around Stockhouse or Reddit or something where, you know, one of these mining companies was thinking about buying a late-stage applicant and just buying them at this late-stage applicant, which I knew of. Um, you know, a friend of mine... Um, Neil Magnuson traveled across Canada with Greg Kedward, who's their master grower, or or was. I think they're, they're bringing somebody else on now, too. But uh, he he made a couple of weed documentaries that are on Netflix and Hulu and stuff, uh, Trippin' cool. and the BC Bud Chronicles. And so, the, I don't know. I, I've also been a member of uh, Peace Naturals and Broken Coast for the last two years. My wife and I are both uh, patients of, of theirs. And I've always liked the, the, the small you know, uh, cap growers, the, the small batch as close to craft growers as possible. I, I sometimes think these big behemoths, you know, um, their success can be their undoing in some ways. The bud isn't, you know, it can be made into lots of good oils or it could be whatever, but some of the best bud is coming from these people that are, that are more closer to like craft growers. So that's I like that term, I would get, craft growers. Yeah. I like that to be like the right. craft, well, we have craft breweries, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think Health Canada just announced that they're allowing craft growers soon, that, that you can apply for a craft growing license. Um, there's a whole bunch of convoluted ways it works, but I'm happy that they're getting into it. But so, so anyways, yeah, that's, uh, you know, like at the time, some of these companies that were only worth 
five cents or two cents. In the States, you guys have had a lot of weird stuff with pot stocks because a lot of them were OTC and a lot of them were, you know, who knows what was behind companies, if anything at all. Right. But in Canada, it's it's a bit more strict. So to, to get on the CSE or the venture exchange, even though those are both considered, you know, lower exchanges, uh, it's still very serious, right? And these companies have to have clear financials. And, and, and. so I, I felt confident getting into, you know, some of the early uh, holding companies, the earlier capital pool companies that were announcing that they were going to get into cannabis. And so I've done pretty well with my investments. Like my wife is doing better than me. She's up over a thousand percent, even with the current dips. Wow. So, and that's on a pretty significant amount of our savings too. My wife and I talked early on, like a year and a half, two years ago, about how much we were willing to risk. Because you know, you never put any money into an investment you're not willing you lose. to lose. Nope. And uh, we're willing to lose it. Like I, I lose money at, Why at am things I not that I'm surprised? passionate about. And, Why am I not but surprised? You're willing to take the risk. <laughs> well, it's because the upside, right? And uh, right. both in activism and in weed stocks, I play kind but of I'm the saying. same. Right. And so I believe that, that you know, the, you, even I do own a bit of, you know, Canopy Growth Corp and our Horizon Marijuana ETF and Aurora and a couple of those things. But they're actually a small percentage of my portfolio. Like, I prefer to take these higher risk plays. And then because even though I bought weed and Aurora back when they were like $2 and $8, now they're even with today's dips, they're like, you know, 10 and 20 something. Um I thought that I could make a lot more money at five cents to like five bucks. Then, you know, there, there isn't that much upside with some of these behemoths anymore. You're going to probably still make good money with, with canopy or Aurora or whatever, but I think there's just way more potential uh, with these small caps. So. Yeah. You're not going to hit a home run with a big company, which makes sense where the little guys you can. And when you know what, you know, who the craft growers are, you know what you're investing in. That's the difference. Down here, you know, most companies, they're just not even touching the plan, especially in the beginning. Nobody was. It's still federally illegal here. So it's so hard to figure out who's actually got a legitimate business where in Canada, you know who's growing, what sales are. It's not just all projections. And in a lot of cases, I have known the CEOs of some of these companies for the last 10 years, right? They've been to my old vapor lounge or they've been around the scene at different events and uh or i've been friends with them i have friends that are now ceos of big you know companies so it's and i've toured a lot of these these lps and their their production facilities and uh sure it is impressive the you know the the, the plants and and how they're doing it in these facilities it's 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 pretty amazing to see. I've just wanted to see, see more growth in cannabis in Canada. So I'm just glad that uh, we're producing more, even though some of it might be a little hypocritical and uh, I'm not as happy as I could be with some of the regulations and stuff. I'd, I'd much prefer a bit more openness and, and, and allowing the current, you know, gray market to uh, transition into the legal market. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're encouraging that as much as I'd want them to, but yeah, that might change. Step by step. All right. Love it. Chris Goodwin, really appreciate you taking some time to call into Potstock Radio. You are welcome back anytime. Uh, you yeah, made thanks me laugh. For having me on the show. I'll take two laughs an interview. You made me laugh at least 10 times. So. <laughs> 
enjoyed having you on and really look forward to following at least online 420 Toronto Festival. And that is going to be again on 420, 10 to 7 p.m. at Nathan Phillips Square. And then check him out. What is your Twitter handle? Give me that again. I want to search for you real quick, but just, oh, there we go. Chris Goodwin 79. Yep. Chris Goodwin 79. Follow him if you already don't. I follow him and he's been funny to follow on Twitter as well as he was on his interview tonight. So again, Chris, enjoyed it. You have a good night. Thank you for taking the time. Great to talk to you, Chris. Thank you. Bye now. All right. That was Chris Goodwin, director of 420 Toronto Festival. And just a funny fucking dude. Yeah, so. he is. But he was very interesting. Good way to end the show. So I want to thank, of course, my co-host, Stace. Thank you for not only putting up with me in life, but putting up with me on the radio. Uh-oh. And also thank our first guest, Clint Sharples, director and chairman of Heritage Cannabis Holdings, Craig Frank, CEO of Kaya Holdings, and then Chris Goodwin, our final guest from 420 Toronto. We will be back next month. I've got two good guests coming up. It's going to be, you know what? I'm not going to announce them until I know what times people are coming on, but it's going to be uh, two former guests that will be awesome updates that we haven't heard from in a while. And we can't end without saying thank you to the Philadelphia Eagles. Thank you. For winning the Super Bowl. For making my Monday morning incredible. World champs. World champs. We'll be at the parade on Thursday. And happy birthday, Stace. Wednesday. And you. And Saturday. Me. Look it up. Big week. Yeah, it's a big week for us. A big partying week. All right. That's it. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you 3 5 next show and get ready for the teases on Twitter for who the guests are going to be. Talk to you then. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. And that's how she wrote. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.